0: Welcome to the Lady Boss Podcast. I'm Laura Karun. And I'm Danielle Moe. And we're the founders of Lady Boss Midwest. We created Lady Boss Midwest to connect and empower women in our community and beyond. In this podcast, we'll be talking to Lady Bosses, empowered women, confident in their abilities and instinct, boldly leading with heart and integrity. Hey, Lady Bosses. Are you good about getting your annual exams and talking to your doctor when you have concerns about your health? If it's been a while, it's probably time to start making plans to get checked out. Going to the doctor can be intimidating, but it's so important to be your own best advocate when it comes to your body. In today's podcast, I'll be talking with Dr. Jean-Marie McGowan about how to find a great primary care doctor, how to get the most out of your appointment and how to make sure your concerns are heard. We'll also be talking about your pelvic health. Did you know that one in four women over the age of 18 experience episodes of leaking urine involuntarily, like peeing when you sneeze or laugh? That rate only increases as we age. It's actually really common, and we're happy to have Dr. McGowan here to answer our questions. Dr. Jean Marie McGowan is an internal medicine physician at Sanford Health in Fargo, North Dakota, with a special interest in women's health. Dr. McGowan serves as the director of the Pelvic Floor Clinic and co-director of the Preconception Clinic. She's an associate faculty member for University of North Dakota Medical Students, Residents, and Fellows. She also serves as clinical education director for the Women's Health Rotation at the University of North Dakota. Welcome to the Lady Boss podcast, Dr. McGowan. I'm so happy to have you join me this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Something that we've been talking about a lot over the last year and a half, especially, is self care. And not just bubble baths and manicures and splurging on avocado toast or whatever, but actually putting your basic needs first. Women are so often in the role of caretaker that they put themselves last on their list of people to care for. So when women come to you and they're in that place where they've been putting themselves last, what are like three things that you suggest that they do to start putting themselves first and putting their health back in the proper place on that list?
1: Sure. So first and probably most important is remembering that putting yourself first is best for everyone. So just like this stewardess um, or airline People tell you, you have to put on your own oxygen mask before putting on others. It's the same thing. So, um, And it, it also sets a great example for the others around you, whether it's your parents who are stubborn about going to the doctors or your kids who are still scared of those shots. Um, it's really important. Um the next thing I would say is make sure you have your agenda and questions prioritized and ready to go. So, you know, have a list of what you want to talk about and what questions. Um, this is going to help you and provide and your provider get as much addressed in that limited time. And um, lastly, like, make sure you feel heard. So keep in mind that providers, we have our own agenda too, whether that's making sure your cancer screenings are up to date or we talk about that high glucose level that you didn't know about. Um, so we only have so much time together, and we got to make the most of it.
0: If a woman hasn't been to the doctor regularly, how important are those regular exams, and what should they be looking for in a primary care doctor?
1: Sure. So. Regular exams are so important because there are certain diseases or cancers that will just sneak up on you. So high blood pressure, diabetes, cervical cancer, colon cancer, etc. Most won't have symptoms until something catastrophic occurs or a late stage cancer or it's it's just too tough to treat. So if you're being seen regularly, we can catch that blood pressure going up or that um, glucose slowly creeping up, or we can do that pap smear regularly. So regular visits are important as well because cancer screening guidelines are updated quite often. So most recently, the colon cancer screening guidelines uh, suggested moving the age that we start screening from 50 years old to 45 years old. We're seeing pretty aggressive cancers in that um, younger population. So if you're not seeing your health provider regularly, you may not be aware of these changes. As far as what kind of provider to look for, you need someone who's gonna listen to you, knows what they're talking about, and is up to date on the current literature. So you may wanna look at their board certifications, meaning that they passed all of their exams. Um, It's very easy now to find online reviews from other people about the provider. So you wanna look for overwhelmingly positive reviews. One or two negative reviews may be okay, but the overwhelming negatives are a warning. And another great way to find good providers are talking with your trusted and healthy friends, right? You wouldn't ask your friend with the bad haircut who her hairdresser is, right? <laughs> so um, you want to go to, uh, you know, talk with your friends and see who they would trust.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, you know, just talking about going and getting your regular exams, I know that there are so many women that are really afraid of going in and even seeing their gynecologist and getting their regular pap smear or going in and getting a mammogram and something that I have found to be true for myself, not true for everyone, but Mm -hmm. those things are really not that big of a deal. They're not, they're not that scary once you get there. Um, They're not painful. And it's something that makes you feel, you know, a sense of like, you feel a little bit better when you know, Hey, things are going okay. And I got it checked out rather than being scared and just afraid to go in at all.
1: Right. I think, um, you know, some of those things can be painful for some people too. Like everybody's pain threshold is different and mammograms, man, I did not realize how much they hurt until I had one. So, um, uh, and the pelvic exam is always a bit uncomfortable. So I think what's important to keep in mind, it's like, it's only temporary pain. Um, it's only going to last maybe five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Um, the colonoscopy that prep, yeah, it's annoying to clean yourself out. Um, but you know, to have those results and be good for, um, you know, if you have a good colonoscopy, it's 10 years. If you have, for most people, if you have a good pap smear, it's now good for five, three to five years, you know? So it's a short period of time, um, and short Period of being uncomfortable for a peace of mind that's going to last you far longer.
0: Right. So I was watching a an episode recently of The Golden Girls, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a throwback, where Dorothy was experiencing this abnormal fatigue and pain, and she could not get her doctors to take her concern seriously. They told her it was just anxiety, and maybe she should just like go on a girls' trip or dye her hair or something. And while that Golden Girls episode was filmed some 35 plus years ago, there's still that gender gap at the doctor's office. So why do you think it is that women's symptoms have been misdiagnosed or even dismissed at such a greater extent than men's? And what can women do to make sure that they're really being heard by their healthcare providers?
1: Sure. So, I mean, a few things to keep in mind is one, we don't know everything and we're discovering things all the time, which is exciting uh, but frustrating. Um, And also keep in mind that although women are known as the caregivers since like the beginning of time, um, the medical field has predominantly been built by men. So, And while incredible strides have been made, I believe now women are um, equal or um, higher percentages enrolled in medical school than males. So we've gone a long way, but we still have a ways to go. So um, I think the best example of this is um, cardiac disease, so heart disease. Um, So as a med student, so very early on, we're taught the classic symptoms of a heart attack or chest pain, radiating to the left side of the jaw or the arm and sweating, right? We need to see certain changes on an EKG and some elevation of troponins, which is a stress enzyme that the heart leaks out. Then we take the person to this cath lab, we inject dye into the arteries of the heart and then stent anything that's blocked. So if a woman does not fit that classic chest pain to the left side or those ha- have those EKG changes, it's really hard to treat. And then we label them with hysteria or anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. So we've learned that women describe things differently. So instead of saying they have pain, it's a pressure or discomfort or an ache, and they have more fatigue or shortness of breath maybe than the men might report. And, you know, another thing too is women were not included in cardiac studies in meaningful numbers until the 1990s. Like, isn't that ridiculous? (laughs) Like, and it wasn't a law until like 2014 that women had to have like very like significant representation and, um gender and sex um had to be um factors into research and i mean 2014 that was that's definitely within our lifetime that's crazy right so within the last 10 years so all of our guidelines machines and interventions were built off of predominantly male subjects so and the male body so the ekg the ekg machines like I swear they almost get confused by breast tissue, and so you know, and stress tests are more likely to be false negative or false positive for women compared to men. And the lab cutoffs for troponins and other things may also be different. You know, women have a different um, body muscle mass than men generally. So we're learning more and more that women are 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 different, obviously, <laughs> and how they're different, and how we can translate that into um, a measurable, um, uh, a measurable standard so that we can create guidelines to better treat, um, to better diagnose and treat women. So, um, We also learned that women are more likely to have what's called microvascular disease. So that means that the arteries of the heart are smaller. So it's really hard to catch those blockages or use the stents. If we, you know, some of the stents are are too big for these tiny arteries, they'll rip them apart. So women are more likely to have spasms of the arteries too, you know, and so not blockages, they're just spasming and the spasms are short-lived. And if you don't catch them in the moment when they are spasming, the heart can look absolutely normal. So this is really hard to catch. Um, and I know the cardi- the cardiology field is making incredible pushes for better understanding Um, So, you know, there's articles all the time, uh, monthly, like several pages in a lot of their um, organizational um, uh, newspapers. Um, So we'll get there. But until then, I think it's just so important that you are an advocate for yourself if you don't feel well and if you feel like you're being brushed off like push to be heard, find who's going to hear you, and really listen to what they have to say too. So um, just you got to be an
0: advocate for yourself. I've definitely felt sometimes in my past where my concerns have maybe been brushed off or just not heard. And I've definitely learned that lesson of I have to be my own best advocate Mm -hmm. and make sure that I'm heard and realizing that doctors don't know everything and they don't know what i'm feeling inside so i have to do my best to describe it and if there's something that is really concerning me to show how concerned i am mm-hmm. and not just let it go um exactly or get a second opinion if you need to maybe mm-hmm. you know doctors have different experiences and different views on things so if one's just not driving with you then try another one and see if that's maybe a better fit or if they're you know better able to understand what you're trying to relate to them. I agree. So we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Save the date, lady bosses. The highly anticipated 2021 Lady Boss Summit is happening Thursday, August 5th. It's one of our favorite days of the year, and we would love to have you join us for more incredible speakers, panels, fresh swag, and always the most timely topics. Visit LadyBossMidwest.com for all the details and to get your ticket today. Welcome back to the Lady Boss Podcast. I'm Laura Karoon here with Dr. Jean Marie McGowan. So Dr. McGowan, you and some of your colleagues from Sanford Health are going to be on our Hot Topics and Women's Health panel at the upcoming Lady Boss Summit, and we are super excited about it. I'm really looking
1: forward to it too. Yeah,
0: thank you. When our team is brainstorming about this panel, we wanted to have an opportunity to really dive into some of those topics that women are thinking about or wondering about, but maybe aren't actually asking questions about. And one of those areas is pelvic health. And to be honest, it's not something that I ever really thought about until after I had my daughter. So tell us a bit about your role as the Pelvic Floor Clinic Director at Sanford and some of the types of things that the clinic helps patients with. Sure. So, I mean, the pelvic
1: floor is incredibly complicated. We have the bowels right next to the bladder, next to the sex organ and the womb, right? So we can't fix one problem without addressing the other systems. And these systems are used every single day, multiple times a day. So if something is dysfunctional, it's hard to have normal day-to-day function. So, um, and each of these systems are split up into different specialties, so it's sometimes hard um, to kind of integrate them in a way that's useful for and practical for patients. So um, as the director, I work alongside the surgeons in gynecology, urology, um, general surgeon, and a few other specialties to address the pelvic floor concerns before surgery is necessary Or when it's not warranted. So we see the woman, talk with her about her issues, do an exam, and set her up with a specially trained physical therapist. There are often times when just changing behaviors or medications and physical therapy can make a huge difference in most symptoms. Even if surgery is needed, these post operative outcomes are much better when we know these um, behaviors and
0: exercises. Even just knowing that physical therapy can help so much, I think is it's helpful for people to know if they're experiencing issues or you know pain or something to know that it's not just you come in and we're going to tell you, you have to go have surgery. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know that women often will joke about peeing their pants when they sneeze or laugh, but it's really not a funny situation. And it happens to an overwhelming number of women. And not just older women. Is urinary leakage something that is normal? Um, it, it it
1: is. It can be. Um, so at least um i don't have the statistics for premenopausal but postmenopausal women there's about 60% of pelvic floor dysfunction so 60% of women will have pelvic floor dysfunction that's a huge number and i'm sure that's underestimated as well so it doesn't have to be normal and i think that's the biggest thing to keep in mind i mean yes there's all these you know snazzy products on the market now and commercials about it and it's it's funny. Um, but it doesn't have to be, I mean, it's very stressful, right? Um, you're 20, 30, 40 years old and, um, even 60 or 70. I mean, you're not a baby, right? You don't want to put your pants. <laughs> so, um, so it doesn't have to be normal. There are many things that you can do, small changes, um, big changes, and, um, your doctors can help you out.
0: Yeah. Can you talk about some of maybe behavioral or lifestyle changes that could potentially address the issue?
1: Sure. So watching how much we drink and what we drink is so important. So that 64 ounces a day um, that we've all heard of and, you know, aim for is really just based off an old paper in the 1940s. But the second half of the sentence was like lost in time. And it said, but we get half of that water from food. So, and again, it's like quality food, like fruits and veggies too, right? So I don't know about the fast food, how much water (laughs) content's in that. But um, So we should drink when we're thirsty, basically. And we have great thirst receptors in our brain and kidneys that work very well. Now, there are exceptions. You want to drink more water when you're working out in this very super hot, humid weather that we're having right now. If you're not feeling well, if you have kidney stones or urinary tract infections, certain meds and certain medical conditions, you may want to drink a bit more. So, and what we drink is so important. Anything that is not flat, plain water is likely to make you leak more. So, any of the coloring, carbonations, additives, caffeine, alcohol, sugar, sugar, uh, sugar, um, it just (laughs) irritates the bladder. So it wants to get rid of it. So the bladder is going to send more signals of urgency or just lets it go. Right. So, um, and straining is another terrible habit that, uh, I think we've been taught. Um, and it puts a lot of stress on the pelvic floor. So, um, the kidneys are always going to making urine or at least they should be. So the bladder is never going to be completely empty. Um, So never strain to get every single last drop out. If you feel done, be done and get off the toilet. And the toilet is a new inter- invention, right? So um, it's only been around the last hundred years. Um, and our bodies were designed to squat in the middle of the woods. So by changing your position to more of a squat, you might have an easier time evacuating your bladder and your bowels. It really can make a difference. And they make certain products out there that are pretty life changing and cheap to use, but a plain stool or your kids' training stool um you know would be just fine and then kegels and other pelvic muscle strengthening is a girl's best friend and you don't if you don't know how you're doing it um it, you know you can see physical therapy for this um they will teach you how to do this um it's not bearing down it's you know it's clenching and it's like trying to stop that flow of urine um you don't want to try this too often when you're urinating cuz that'll keep create problems. But um, that's a whole separate topic. <laughs> um, and then go to the bathroom when you have to go. So we, we teach ourselves, you know, go to the bathroom before you leave the house, go to the bathroom as soon as you get somewhere, right? Go to the bathroom before you get on that plane, you know, even though we've just emptied our bladder, you know, so by teaching our bladder to go at more frequent intervals, and at smaller volumes, it then teaches it then trains us to start taking it to the bathroom at shorter periods and smaller volumes. So the bladder's like a dog. It gets trained very
0: easily <laughs> and you can train it right back. So when should a woman be concerned about her pelvic health?
1: I mean, anytime it's bothersome. So, you know, if, if those incontinence is, uh, symptoms are bothersome, by all means. Um, anytime there's pain, though, you, you should be seen right away and this should never be unaddressed. Um, so uh, any anytime that you're concerned, just
0: talk about it. So beyond pelvic floor issues. Are there other issues that you're seeing many women who are struggling with, but having a hard time asking about?
1: Um, Outside the pelvic floor, I think um, depression, anxiety, like the mood disorders are a big issue right now. Um, we've just have been living through the worst time. <laughs> the world seems on fire right now. It's just of, yeah, it's a big old dumpster fire, right? So um, everybody's just living on the edge here. Um, and our mental health is really taking a toll. And it's so important. Nothing nothing is going to function if we're not in the right mind state. So, um, And I'm not saying everybody needs medication, but you really do need to address your mental health. Um, you know, so often women will come to me like, you know, stressed about 20 different things, but the thing they want to talk about is their weight. Um, and, you know, study after study shows that if depression or anxiety goes untreated, weight loss is really, really hard to overcome um, and, to, and to start. So um, once those mood disorders are treated, then women tend to have an easier time shedding those pounds. So if, if our mind is not in the, in the right place, nothing else really works to the best of its ability.
0: Yeah. It's so amazing how, I mean, the body, it it all works together. So if, Mm -hmm. if one part is not working, things are, things are happening there. It's really hard to fix or change other parts. Um, exactly exactly
1: so i i take it back to the basics i'm kind of a physician who's not i don't love to start meds if we don't need to um i think taking it back to like simple basics if you know you have to eat right that's so important eating healthy and sort of clean as clean as you can get here <laughs> in america uh you know that helps it goes a long way we really are what we eat and then we are what we do. So if we're sitting all the time, whether that's because of our job or um, Netflix or whatever, (laughs) um, you know, our body is not going to want to do much more than that, even though it really needs to. And then sleep. If we're not sleeping well, you know, sleep is that time when we're supposed to restore all these systems. And if we're not sleeping well, and it's it's doing it's getting like less of the supplies that it needs it's not going to be working at full capacity and to the best of its ability so if if we can't get these three basic things in line right eating activity and sleep if um it's really hard like medication yeah it's going to help but it's only going to get us so far it still matters what we eat and what we do and how we sleep
0: so are there things that you recommend to patients for kind of tackling those three things first?
1: Well, you can't make all these changes all at once, right? <laughs> um, I mean, we're all human. Uh, and I, you know, I don't have that kind of willpower. <laughs> um, it, if I had a pill for willpower, I'd be a very wealthy woman. <laughs> and all my medical school, school loans would be paid off, right? Um But, you know, we're human, right? And so, you know, you pick one small change at a time. So whether, you know, you eat out, um, let's say every day for lunch you eat out, right? Um, Because it's fast, it's quick, um, and that's just what um, you've been doing. Well, let's see, maybe your goal is to eat out only twice a week during the the work week, um, and then bring your lunch the other days, or, you know, bring a yogurt with some fruit or granola, you know, peanut butter, something like that. Um, so you start small and then you keep building on top of that. You know, I'm going to go for a 10 minute walk, um, a few nights a week. Um, or I'm gonna, you know, yes, I walk my dog, which is great, but I'm going to take it an extra 20, 30 minutes, or, um, I'm going to go to bed within an hour, you know, every single night this week, that's my goal, you know, so whether it's week, small weekly goals or monthly goals, something to build towards, it does add up. All of these little changes will make a difference.
0: It's so frustrating to me seeing how the media, social media, They make it seem like for you to take charge of your health, like you need to do all of these things at one time. And if you're not doing them perfectly, like you're doing it wrong. And if you're not losing weight, that's just, you know, melting off, then you're somehow less of a person. But really it is those small incremental changes. And I think thinking about it, I mean, for me personally, thinking about it in how I'm feeling and ways that... I'm making sure that my body is able to do the things that I want to do. It's not about how I look for other people. It's how am I feeling? I want to make sure that my mind is clear and that I can do the activities that I want to do, that I can chase around my kid, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And so maybe start, I mean, giving yourself some grace. Absolutely. Super helpful. Absolutely. I mean, I
1: um, I enjoy working out. I enjoy running in particular. Um, and I know my body now. I've through the years. If I don't run every four days, I feel slowish and cranky. So if you know uh, cutting something short, uh, you know, or um, not meeting someone for dinner or something that week, just so I can get in my thirty-minute run, I know I'll feel much better and be able to work better and be nicer <laughs> to everyone you know oh um, and and I mean too it, it's our jobs are our lives are busy right especially the women who are listening to your podcast right we are we're you know top earners and very motivated women and you know I would love to look like one of those female superheroes you know very like <laughs> yes. toned and strong and everything but like <laughs> I have a full-time job that does not allow that kind of workout routine in order to look like that, right? I'm not, I'm not being paid millions of dollars to look good on a on a huge movie screen, so uh, it's okay if I'm not, you know, that certain size and that cut, and um, you know,
0: it's okay. Well, listening to your body is so important. That's something that I have learned definitely. Uh, later in life, I mean, I'm in my thirties now and I've learned to pay attention to those cues and those signals that my body's giving me or realize that, you know, if I'm, if I'm not getting enough water in a certain day, if I'm not getting enough sleep, mm-hmm. this is how I'm going to react. And to know, like, if I don't want to be cranky, I need to eat lunch when I'm supposed to eat lunch and not skip it. Or yes. <laughs> <you know.
1: laughs> I'm a hangry individual, so I totally oh,
0: understand. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yep. <laughs> But just knowing those things by yourself and taking the time to listen to those cues is so important. Absolutely. So why is it so important for people to be open and transparent with their healthcare providers, even if they maybe feel a little embarrassed?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, we're terrible mind readers, right? <laughs> I wish I had that superpower, but I I just don't. Um and you know, we've been trained to pick up on body language and certain cues, but you know, it, it can only get us so far and some of us are better at it than others. So, and we're also unfortunately very distracted by that computer and like the electronic medical record if we're not updating it kind of in real time um it's really hard to get out of work and enjoy our life outside of work um so you know we're we're kind of like on the computer and trying to look at you as much as possible but it just you know some days I'm better at it than others you know so um so, and so just like everyone else, too, silence is really uncomfortable, right? Everybody, like, those pauses are really awkward and you just want to feel that, <laughs> that silence, right? Um, and, and providers, we've been taught, like, to be okay with this and, like, it's a good thing to just, like, be silent and let the patients give up that information so that, <laughs> you know, they, they don't like the discomfort kind of thing and then they'll start talking. but. Um, Like I said, some of us are better at it than others. Some of us, it's like, what type of day are we having? Are we 40 minutes behind? Um, So if you're not speaking up and you're not, um, you know, pushing for yourself to get, like, everything is heard, um, you know, we might not pick up on it. So.
0: So whether they're seeing their gynecologist or seeing a dermatologist, what tips do you have for women to make the most out of their next doctor visit?
1: Sure. So um, come on time or early with, with understanding, like, yes, providers may run behind, but it's also, it's often because the patient before needed a little bit more TLC, or we're trying to call patients or specialists between seeing the next patient. Um, but if you're that late patient, we may need to cut off your visit. Short, so uh, we don't run behind for the next one. Um, So, you know, come on time or a little bit early. Come with a prioritized list, but expect to get through at least two or three. So, remember, we have our agenda too, whether that's updating your chart or talking about cancer screenings or um, going through the medications. So, we need to meet somewhere in the middle, and it depends on how much time we have together. Um, if your provider works with an online platform, which many do in this day and age, um, the program may allow you to review your chart beforehand, um, give updates or corrections, and put in those concerns before you get to the appointment. That's been really, really helpful.
0: I've started putting together a little notes in my phone so that if you know, something mm-hmm. is bothering me or I'm concerned about it, I can type it in there so that when I go to the doctor next, I remember to talk about it because you're right. It's so hard to, you know, once you're there, you're distracted by other things or maybe you're feeling nervous or you're feeling rushed or what, you know, whatever it is and you forget. And then you get home and you're going, oh, darn, I was going to ask about this and I didn't. And you feel like you missed your
1: chance. Yeah. It it happens all the time. And, you know, a lot of us do have you know, online messaging. So if if there's no urgency, you could send us a message. You know, we might not get to it right away, um, but at least you have it down and you sent it in. You know, um, if it's more urgent, then call or go in.
0: Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Doctor McGowan. Yeah, I've had a great time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, talking about pelvic health on a podcast isn't really something I would have ever expected to do. <laughs> it's so important, I think, to bring issues like this to light and to help women realize that they're not alone and that these are things that they should be bringing up and talking about.
1: Ab- absolutely. Please, let's, let's make it a bigger conversation. This way, we we everybody is aware that it's a problem and we can actually get better at treating it and better treatments for it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Lady Boss Podcast. If you want to hear more from Dr. McGowan and a panel of amazing women in healthcare, you won't want to miss the Lady Boss Summit on August 5th. Head to ladybossmidwest.com to grab your summit ticket. Are you a Lady Boss? Find all of our events, resources, and ways to get connected at ladybossmidwest.com and join us on social at ladybossmidwest. Midwest.